I grew up with my mom going out hunting, and I, and I used to be on her back, uh, like going on the dog team. I remember that so well. And I grew. Since then, I've been going out hunting with my little girl, two-year-old, and my ten-year-old. Um, I'm like addicted to it. Like I can't stop going out hunting with Charlie. <coughs> I mean, she always wanted a, to adopt a baby, so she got a call from Cape Dorset. And they they agreed to have to give their baby for adoption. Mika Kigukjak and Annie and Lisa Aldeluk are some of my Eskimo friends living in Greasefjord, one of the most northern communities in the world. I met them first in September 89 when myself, my husband and our three young children travelled to the high Arctic to spend a year living with the Eskimos of northeast Canada, or Inuit as they prefer to be called. We rented a house in this tiny isolated settlement of about a hundred people, a mere oasis of civilization in a vast, empty, icy landscape. It's almost a thousand miles above the Arctic Circle. In fact, we were the only white family living in Greasefjord. The teacher, nurse, policeman and store manager were also Kadluna or white, but they were all single, and unlike them, we had no administrative role. So we were in quite a unique social position, which allowed us to become much more involved in the Inuit lifestyle. Luckily, most people there have some English, although Inuktitut is the spoken language. The older people have no English, unfortunately because they had many stories to tell of their nomadic childhood when they still lived pretty much in the Stone Age. She was born in a camp and, um, and her mother died before she was before she was even when she was still being packed on the back, <laughs> and um, she left from the camp to a settlement when she was three, three years old. Her oldest brother, her oldest sister, brought her up to the settlement, and they lived together. She grew up, they grew up together. How did your oldest sister support you, though? Um, like, who did the hunting, and... How did she look after you? She doesn't really remember she, but I guess they were in a settlement and they got provided by other people. Today, 36 years later, Greasefjord has been rocketed into the 20th century. Nowadays, the territorial government provides housing with all the facilities that a modern home thousands of miles further south would have. Oil-fired central heating, piped water, even flush toilets, which is some achievement in an area where the ground is permanently frozen solid. Computers, telephones, satellite TV, videos and weekly scheduled flights in a small twin otter aeroplane make the outside world more accessible to this very remote community where temperatures seldom rise above zero in the summer and constantly stay at minus 40 for weeks in the winter when the sun disappears, leaving three months of total darkness. Well, it's 
what, three, four months, five months of darkness and... Um, three months. Three months of time. Three months. November to February. And when the sun starts going up, they start going hunting and... Um, and when the sun is warm enough, they go out camping and including hunting and they catch seals, polar bear, narwhals, and other animals that are able to be eaten. Despite their familiarity now with modern technology, the Inuit have managed to integrate their traditions with white man's materialism. Hunting is still their main preoccupation, although they have regular jobs, but now they use snowmobiles instead of dog sledges, rifles replace harpoons, and outboard motors instead of canoes. Generally, hunting is a male-dominated activity, while the wife and daughters tend to stay at home. However, it's not exclusively so, and many women accompany their husbands on hunting trips, mainly in spring and summer. A couple of women regularly hunt at big games such as polar bear and muskox. Martha Kiguktek, mother of ten children and grandmother, was one, and her daughters were also keen hunters. And my mother, she's about 50, 56, 50, something like this, 56 or 57 years old. She's very, she wants to go out hunting and she gets a polar bear every year, two, maybe two polar bears a year. She's excited to go out polar bear hunting, like they have to go a long ways in the winter and it's very, very cold, especially when they, they have to build an igloo to stay, in, to keep warm and, um, yeah, just like last year in Devon Island. Oh they, yeah, they got yeah. cut out in the storm. Yeah, yeah. just, uh, yeah. they have to be in an igloo at that, at that time, like in March or February, March, April. Something yeah. like that. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's safer for like it's strong winds. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's better than a tent in the storm. Yeah, um, I grew up with my mom. I don't know when she started uh, getting those polar bear, which sometimes they're small, sometimes they're huge, and it's a lot of work. Um, skinning a polar bear and stretching them out and it's the heaviest stuff they can clean like when they have to wash it too and rinse it in the water outside st salt water mm. yeah and when mm. something like in april yeah mm. april may yeah. um i grew up with my mom going out hunting and i and i used to be on her back uh like going on the dog team. I remember that so well. And I grew, since then, I've been going out hunting with my little girl, two-year-old, and my 10-year-old. Um, I'm, like, addicted to it. Like, I can't stop going out hunting with Charlie. And I, he lets me shoot any, anything like seals, harp, uh, rabbit, ptarmigan anything like that, which is, which, any animal we see, as long as it's not a polar bear or something. Um, yep, I like going out hunting. And I noticed uh, some ladies my age, which I grew up with, they don't, they don't seem to be interested in that. But in my family, it's, 
the way it is. At over $1,000 a pelt, the financial incentive has recently attracted other women. Iga got her second polar bear in March and was very proud that she'd only used one shot, as normally it takes about three to stop a bear. This hunting is strictly regulated by a quota system, so there's quite a healthy bear population in this area. Danny, myself and the children did a lot of travelling in the spring with our dog team, and surprisingly we never met a bear. We were well prepared though, having two rifles for protection, but I would have hated to have to use one. Yeah, the only time I really like hunting is in springtime when we try to get young seals and out fishing. I really, I don't really don't care to hunt others like polar bear because, you know, I'm scared of them or muskox and that. I first got my polar bear though. Did you? You got one Yeah, I got here. my first here. Yeah. yeah, right outside the door. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, my nephew, uh, my niece there, Pipili, mm-hmm. and Ludi used to live where Mika's old house is, mm-hmm. and there was a polar bear right in front there, so I just went out the door and shot him. Like myself, Mimi Akiego was a bit more reluctant. She lived at the top of a hill and had a great view of the fjord for spotting game, but unfortunately she was also right beside the noisy electricity generator. I used to like going out hunting with my husband before, but... I never really go out for so many years now. Now I'm getting scared to use r- rifle and... Uh, With you on that, uh, yeah, that I know. I, <laughs> I thought you were an expert <laughs> hunter. <laughs> um, yes, but uh, I wasn't so comfortable as I was before with a rifle. Yeah. During the winter time. <laughs> That was pretty good then, to, to get that Yeah, tomorrow, I'm planning to go out. <laughs> <laughs> We're planning to go out again tomorrow oh. for whale hunting. Now oh, well, oh yeah. Yeah, my name was um, picked up from a hat through the radio. Oh, they had two, uh, two uh, um, what you call those? Yeah, Yeah, so they pick a name. My name was picked out, so tomorrow is my day. (laughs) You've got to get a narrow tomorrow. We'll have three days with that uh, tag. Who else is going to get one? Uh, My sister, Saila. Oh, Saila. Yeah. Mm. I hope there's some oils up there. Has, has anybody seen any? No, I don't yeah. think so. No. Where will you go? I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. Maybe somewhere there uh, into the field. Next morning, I saw Mimi running out of the school where she teaches to the boat that her husband Sigluk was loading up with guns and fuel. Some narwhal, those small whales of the Arctic waters, about 10 to 12 feet in length, had been spotted close by. She wasted no time in getting out there, and hours later they returned with a fine bull narwhal in tow. It was a beautiful mottled creature, with a long spiral tusk coming from its upper jaw like a spear. A crowd soon gathered with knives, and the whale was expertly skinned, and large slabs of the skin were passed around. Soon everybody was happily munching this delicious muttak or whale skin. My children in particular loved muttak, but despite its delicate nutty flavour, I found it rubbery and hard to swallow. There is a limited supply of white man's food available in the local store, at a high price, but most Inuit prefer their own country foods, 
especially seal meat, and hunting provides over 70% of their diet. The catch is often shared among families. We, in, we don't like to waste the meat or the seal skins or the matak. We, don't, we use all those because like people come into our, ask my father if there's any seal meat in the box or anything down there so they could just pick it up. We like giving meat to other families too. Like they don't have any uh, boats or skidoos to go out with and we just, we just give them the meat, save the rest for the winter, like in, especially in October or November. We can hardly get anything at that time when the ice is almost frozen. People don't have regular meal times. They eat when they're hungry or when food is available. Most people prefer to eat squatting on the floor over a carcass, usually a seal, placed on a piece of cardboard, cutting a piece, eating it, then cutting another, without the paraphernalia of plates or cutlery. Also, since the meat is eaten raw, it doesn't need any special preparation and can be eaten at any time. In the Arctic, you quickly get used to watching animals being skinned and chopped up. It's part of everyday life, and I can't remember feeling any aversion to it. My children took no notice either, and the two youngest, being only one and two years old, loved raw meat. But Tempe at six was a bit squeamish. A vegetarian would never survive there. However, some of the younger women were quite proud of their more sophisticated culinary talents, which they had learnt in the adult education programmes. Polar bear meat is good. I sometimes crave for polar bear meat, like it's only in one season, eh? like in the winter. Walrus meat, I've never tried that. But, but some say it's good when they're, they dry it up. I've never really tried that before. I tried. I had a had it, but it's tough. I even pounded it, <laughs> and because any any other had to pound. Just to see that black meat, it's like it's real black. dark yeah. black meat, but darker it's very, than very nice, t subtle taste. It tastes like like some some fellow in Greenland, Sulu, said to me that it tastes like what they eat. You know those uh, shellfish that they eat, oysters and things. And mm. I, I thought we laughed, but it does. Mm. It actually tastes like shellfish. It's very it's a kind of subtle taste. Yeah, they eat. Yeah, yeah. they boil them too. Eh? Yeah. yeah, yeah, they do anything yeah. to me. But I never. I grew up not knowing that yeah. thing because my yeah. parents were so weren't into that. Yeah. What about whale meat? They don't use whale meat either, no. no. Not, not much. No, just the. Mm, just okay. when they're dried. Oh. And fish, Arctic char. There's. Some around. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's when you dry them up, it's good. Very good. And you boil, I usually boil some and roast, uh, fry, stuff it up with uh, stuffing, whatever. Seal meat is definitely the staple food. We were told it helps to keep you warm, and hunters in the cold winter always eat a piece of their catch soon after they pull it onto the ice. I tried cooking seal in many different ways, with spices and sauces, but we all agreed it's nicest just boiled in salted water. The skins are still used for clothing, especially for making boots called kamiks. Mika showed me how they're made, but you'd need strong gums and teeth, as they have to be chewed to make them supple. A lot of the women had very worn, small teeth from years of chewing their boots.
And the seal skins, we use those for camics, uh, that's uh, boots sewn all together with uh, cat guts, or right now I use cat guts, those kind. They used to, my mom usually used those whale emetters. Sinew. Sinew. Yeah. yeah, she she prefer using that, but me, this generation maybe this yeah. just a cat gut. Mm. And we make uh, mitts out of the seal skin, little bags to keep the sewing stuff and everything for the ladies to use, and pants, and the uh, those bearded seals. We use those for uh, bottom of the camics, mm. and the white part is the seal skin. They take out all the fur, do uh, put it in the hot water, soak it in the hot water, so the fur we can just skin it like that, and it's turned out white in spring only, only in spring. They keep it out in the cold, like when it's uh, snow outside, mm. sun coming up. It brightens, it gets the seal skin bright, oh, so it's white. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we we can't do it in the summer. Oh, right. Nowadays, we sell the polar bear skin for money, like to buy groceries or more ammunition, rifle, skidoo, something like that. And But they still use um, the skin, the fur for... Uh, pants, which is the best thing, the best kind of pants, the warmest so far, I know. Yeah, yes. that's... Most people here use uh, caribou skin, don't they, for winter? Yeah, for, for winter, because the polar bear skin seems so valuable now. The children in Greasefjord can generally come and go as they please, with no strict routine of mealtimes or bedtime to tie them down. Although in winter they are restricted to playing indoors, because of darkness and temperatures of minus 40 degrees centigrade. But they make up for this in the summer when they can play outside during the day and night under the midnight sun. Many mornings I was awakened by my six-year-old daughter Tempe returning home exhausted at nine o'clock in the morning after running around outside all night. Sometimes kids, kids go to sleep at two hours. Two, two in the morning, yeah. 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 How about the kids at night? Yeah, they go to bed at about 8.30 or nine o'clock. Nine o'clock, which is very early for you. You wouldn't go to bed at that time. But do you sleep in the day sometimes then? If you came home from school, would you sleep sometimes? Yeah. No? Um. Are you not tired in the morning then when you have to get up early? Because school starts at nine o'clock. It's quite early. Yeah. Is it hard to get up in the morning? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it is. Yeah, uh, in the summer, most of the time, I used to go to bed around six or four. Children came to visit us every day after school, especially Tempe's friends, Pauline, Susie and Adeline, and they would tell me the latest local news. In April, my uh, Anana, grandmother, yeah. she's going to come back and live here. Is she? Yeah. Oh, and my uncle. And, and Robert. Yeah. How you could, you call her Anana? I thought that was your mother. Anana. Anana. My, my mom catch two polar bears on Saturday, I think. And oh, yeah, that's right. She caught one muskox. She was very happy. And yeah. I think she's going to sell those polar bear skin yeah. and give the money to my Anana, my oh, grandma, yeah. Anana, to come here. Oh, that'll be good. 
Yeah, she's got to come a long way from Calvert. Last summer, there was a big, there was three polar bears, two baby ones, and they came back when it was winter. My mom, my mom saw them. Um, you on here, the here, here? Yeah. That she thought it was a dog. Yeah, she saw the, yeah. the young polar bear. Yeah. Uh, we saw them when we tried to come back from Devon Island. Yeah. Also, really there white. was a polar bear, mm -hmm. big one, near uh, our house. Yeah? Yeah. Mm -hmm. When? This year? This, this year you're talking about, is it? Like, I uh, think yeah. it was last year. My dad oh, yeah. caught it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was very exciting, wasn't it? It was done for in spite of the apparent lack of discipline in child-rearing, parents still exert authority over their children when necessary, and elders are always respected. I found my son more happy here because there's more freedom. Uh, <coughs> everybody knows each other more, and they seem to get along more um, too, because they know each other. He's going out with his father more often than he used to when we were living down in Yakalwit, because the hunting area here is much closer than in Yakalwit. You have to go very far away to get some uh, seal or caribou, well, not like seals and whales. Now, here in Grishfjord, you could see... see it all from your house. see <laughs> mammals down yeah. in the sea from your house. And your four-year-old, uh, April, I mean, she stays out quite a lot and you yes, don't have to worry mm, about her. I used to worry about her uh, when we first moved here. Uh, that the sea, the shore is so close to the house. Maybe she could, she may wander and go to, go on the ice and then fall in the water or something like that. But yeah. nowadays, I know yeah. she's safe. Yeah. And everybody, <coughs> every adults, when they see somebody playing on the on the ice or down at the beach, they told them they shouldn't be playing down there, and the kids know they, the, uh, the adults meant that, and they yeah. have to find, go play with their friends in a safe yeah. place. Yeah, people do tend to look after each other. Yes, yeah, mm. even though they not belong to their own family, they tell, they tell them what to do, and they seem to help each other more here, too. One night, Tivai, who lived two houses down from us, rang me to say that she had Orla, my two-year-old, in her house. She saw her wandering outside wearing only pyjamas and an odd pair of boots, in temperature somewhere in the minus twenties, and I had thought she was tucked up asleep in bed. Luckily, she'd only been out for a minute or two before she was spotted by Tivai. During my year in Greasefjord, my closest friend was probably Anne Gardner, she was the daughter of an English Anglican minister, and therefore white also, but she was born and brought up in the north. Inuktitut was her first language, and she was married to an Inuk and had three young children. But unlike the more reticent Inuit, she was quite chatty and had good insight on Inuit traditions and customs. 
Somebody told us when they arrived in Greasefjord a couple of years ago that she'd completely forgotten how to use English. Last August, both our families went to a large, uninhabited island a couple of hundred miles away to hunt caribou. The weather was bad, with constant strong winds. And during these storms, I would spend many hours in her tent, chatting, knitting and drinking endless cups of tea and learning more about Inuit customs. Um, you don't have to really go through what you call red tape. Yeah. Like, if you want to adopt somebody and you see somebody who is due to have a baby, anybody can go up and really ask, can I adopt? Or they might say yes, or they might say no, but usually when people, older people, when they want to adopt a baby, they're told, yes, that they could, you know, adopt. And it's usually through, the parents would know that person, or their parents, friends would know that person. And then it's just a matter of um, taking the baby and it's yours. There's no legal process involved. The uh, Does the natural mother then uh, say goodbye completely to the child. Most all of them are told who their natural parents And they keep in contact too. They always send pictures. This is how she, he, he or she looks. This is what he or she is doing. Yeah. And sometimes they even call up to see how, you know, how their child's doing or the adoptive parents will call and say, look, she's doing fine, he's doing fine. As Anne Gardner told me in her wind-battered tent, almost every household has an adopted child. A house without children would be inconceivable, and so grandparents in particular adopt a grandchild or two, also ensuring a helping hand in their old age. Eight years ago, Elise lost two sons tragically when her house went on fire. Soon after, her neighbours Luti and Peepoli decided to have a baby for her as she was in her late forties and past bearing children herself. However, it took four years for Matthew to arrive, and in the meantime, Ulysses had adopted two children from different settlements to add to rate natural children. Nowadays, young couples use contraception, and so their families are much smaller. But the teenage birth rate remains high, and so native adoption is still common. From what I could see, it seemed to work out quite well. Annie Audeluk had adopted a baby soon after we arrived in Greasefjord. We adopted a baby, and she went to Khalid on the beginning of October to wait for the baby to come. The baby was born on the 30th and it was a boy. Um, the mother didn't almost give it, but she decided to. She decided to, so my, my mom went home on the 3rd of September. I mean, she got the baby on the 3rd of September and she left less than a week and went back home here. Was the baby's mother a relative or a friend of yours? Did you know her very well? Um, she got the call from Cape Dorsey saying that, um, she, I mean, she always wanted a, to adopt her baby, so she got a call from Cape Dorsey. And they they agreed to, have, to give the baby for adoption and so, I don't know, she waited for a while and then she called again to make sure that they uh, agreed, all the relatives agreed 
to give the baby away, so she went. She headed down to Khalid to wait. On the subject of family ties, it amused me to hear an Inuit family with an Irish surname. The Flahertys are the Inuit descendants of pioneer Irish-American filmmaker Robert Flaherty, who travelled extensively in the North in the 1930s and made the classic documentary film Nanook of the North. Tukilka uh, is my brother, and Joseph Flaherty is my uncle, my mum's brother. So Flaherty's are my cousins that are living in Greece here right now. Right, and uh, Joseph Flaherty is the son of Robert? Robert Flaherty. So it's uh, the Flaherty family are all living in Greasefield? Yes, I guy was born in Cape Dorset and in 55, my parents, we went to Iqaluit by dog team. Some I don't remember, but I went to school in Iqaluit. But in summer, I used to translate, interpret for the hospital or the Bell Canada, whoever needs an interpreter, so I, they got me to go on the ship, a medical care ship, it used to be called City Howe, and I traveled to Baffin Island to each settlement when the, uh, the Inuit had to see uh, doctors, dentists, about TB, whatever their sickness was. Yeah, and uh, so you were, you first arrived in Greasefield then a good many years ago. Yeah, I just, came, I just came up to see my brother, Tukilki, because I haven't seen him since I was a teenager. And came up here before, I came up on December 8th and I was going to stay here before Christmas, but I really liked it here, so I've been here since. And It's a very different community to the others. It's a very small and isolated community. You mostly like that. Yeah, the reason why I like Greece Fury, it's quiet and I get a chance to go out hunting and see different animals and all that and that I don't get to do when I'm in different settlements. Hopefully even my older one there when he grows up, he'll like it here and don't want to move from here. Because he loves to hunt and I think he likes it here. For the boys, learning to hunt starts at an early age. Almost as soon as they can hold a rifle, they accompany their fathers on hunting trips. And by the time they're 10 years old, they're quite expert at shooting rabbits, foxes and seals, even caribou. Back on cold, windy Devon Island, Anne's 10-year-old son, Russell, had already got three caribou. Yeah, they go whenever they can go, even during uh, school. Um, like we prefer them to go out, even if they have to go to school. We make school second and hunting first. And even at school, they have this program called Culture Inclusion where the boys go out hunting on school hours and they come back when school is finished. Do you think the, the old way of life, the hunter as solely a hunter, do you think that life is, is finished? Or do you see your sons leading a similar kind of life? I don't know. No, no, because through land claims, they state that a, true, a full-time hunter is going to be paid like a 
regular person working, so that one I can't answer. Oh, I see, yeah. Do land claims, once land claims are done and signed, and people who just want to become hunters, they're going to be given like a salary just to hunt. Yeah. So I don't... Yeah. But they'll still hunt, you know. So the techniques of the Inuit hunter's craft are being passed on to each new generation, just as they always have been in the past. How do you know it anymore? Oh, it's after another. I don't know. We're just like any other. We. I guess we're just like any other anyway. But um, yeah, and and. You like to go out hunting. Yeah. <laughs> like to go out on the land. Yeah, or just out on it's the just our culture. The way we are. The Inuit people really enjoy life, in spite of living in such an inhospitable part of the world. They love games and celebrations and composing songs. But it wasn't always fun and games. 
especially for me travelling on the ice with two babies to care for. And I understood then how the custom of native adoption came into being, because quite simply it's impossible to carry two babies inside your mautig or parka, so it made sense to give one to another woman when two were born close together. Of course I resisted any such temptations, and my children are all still with me, healthy and happy, and wondering when we're going home to Grisfjord. Fjord. <laughs> 